0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show, a real estate investment program. Listen and learn how to use real estate to build wealth and passive income streams for you and your family. We bring you experts every day to discuss and answer your questions on everything from single family homes all the way up to 600 plus unit apartment complexes. And now, the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Welcome to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. I'm your host, Del Wamsley. And as always, we're working on your financial freedom here today to uh, talk with us about the logic, the pros and the cons of investing outside of your local market is Mr. Scott Van Osteren, multifamily mentor from the Houston area. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you.
0: We're uh, having a big day at my office today. I've got the uh, end of my summer intern program. I jumped off that uh, cliff and had one this summer. And we've got a couple of meetings at Lifestyles this afternoon to go with the case study that we've got at Houston tonight. So it's uh, a lot going on today.
1: It is. A busy day for all of us uh, going on here. Let's, uh, let's talk today, Scott, about People who are interested in investing outside of their local market, and the reason I say that is because you clarified my thinking on this topic uh, earlier today uh, by talking about distance may not just be sub-market, it might just be distance, and uh, the pros and cons on whether somebody would be would be worth taking the risk to go farther away from just being local. And uh, as, as we talked about this before, you had a, a, a decision tree model that you worked with as you sat down with members to try to walk them through that. Why don't you take us through that decision tree that you work with these people on to try to decide if it's worth it for them to do something that's not in their backyard?
0: Sure. So, and and I'll start with, you know, the the foundation for this is what I went through myself uh, 10, 11 years ago uh, when I was getting started at Lifestyles and trying to decide where in Houston, Texas, I wanted to buy an apartment complex. And at the time, my business model was five apartment complexes all in Houston. We've got four million people here. It's big enough. There's no reason to go outside the city. And I thought that five was a controllable number. So that became my model. And then the question was where to put them. Uh, as it turned out, I have concentrated in the Clear Lake Market. Now, I live in the Galleria area, for those of you that know the the Houston area. So without traffic, these areas are about 35 minutes apart. Uh, you know, I'm going against traffic, so maybe it's 45 minutes uh, on a bad day, uh, but, but nothing you know horrible to, to deal with. Now, what's happened as we have expanded in the Houston market, and it's probably going on in Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, and, and some of these other areas as well that we're pretty big in, is that we've created our own competition. We own a large uh, piece of the marketplace here collectively, and so we keep pushing the limits of where we want to buy and what we consider our local market. If I'm in my area here, people are Uh, expanding as much as an hour easily from the city center, but I mentor some people that are getting started, and they may live in the extreme north area of Houston and the Woodlands or Conroe area, and they're looking at things in Lake Jackson and Galveston and Bay City, which can be a two-hour drive or more with traffic if you're trying to do it at the wrong time of day. So, You know, the analysis I made earlier was that it takes me two hours to fly to Cincinnati to get to mine. And you've got commute times and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you kind of get the point that a two-hour drive, you've got to figure out what your priorities are, what your commitments are to things that are important, be that family, kids, you know, kind of where you are in your life. Maybe some of our members still have a full-time job, and they're buying a uh, you know, anywhere from a quad to a 10 or 12-unit deal that's going to be their first deal, you've got to make sure that you can support these sorts of things, and you've got to make sure that the risk and reward associated with what you're about to take on is going to overcome the time and the effort and the expense to get there. So that is the real thing that I try and bring these folks back to and, and try to center it as a business decision and not really a real estate decision at that point on whether or not it's worth doing what we're about to do or what parameters we're gonna put on it in order to get there.
1: Now, when you look at this thing, do you decide is that relevant to how good the deal is? Might that influence, in other words, maybe they're not strong business acumen wise, but the deal is so good, or is it just simply if they don't have good strong acumen, they should not be in a deal that's not where they can get their hands on it right away. How do you see that?
0: Well, the business acumen is where it all starts, and that's where trying to frame it and help them develop a business plan for, if you're going to do this, let's talk about why we're doing it and how we're going to effectively manage it and and deal with what may be obstacles that are in our way to get there. Now, I also think that depending on what member I'm dealing with, and I can tell you about a live deal uh, right now that came to me that, when the, I looked at the deal on paper and I listened to the terms, I said, you know what, this deal makes sense. And I actually thought about doing this as a solo deal, which I've never done one before. I've always done partnerships. And the thing that, effect, in effect, would have made this potential is that I now have a management company and I have people that I can say, hey, go drive two hours and go take care of this thing, right? But as I looked at my business that I run, my management company, and what we have to tackle, and kind of scalability of what's within our means and and worth our time, I started to think that, you know what, this deal is not really my deal, even though I think it's a great deal. This is a perfect deal for some of these newer people who are trying to buy their first deal and they may treat it as their first syndication deal or small partnership deal, um, because we have a structure where the person who's organizing or syndicating these deals gets compensated for doing that, and they start off with a relatively low percentage, and they work their way up. Um, if you're looking at a deal as a long-term hold, because I do, I've never sold anything. I've owned some deals as much as 11 years. I think your criteria is very different from the people who are entering their first deal, and they're treating them more as a fix and flip so that they can understand the process, get one under their belt, and then scale up from 20 units to 40 units or 60 units or wherever they're going to go from there. And as I was saying, this live deal, I'm actually essentially passing on it. I think I will still probably buy a piece of the deal, but I'm going to turn it over to another member and say, I think this one is perfect for you to do your first deal on.
1: Now, that brings me to the next thought process, and that is, in the past, it has been uh, pretty much, an understanding, I guess, that you start out with smaller properties that you can get your arms around and work your way up. Now, unlike you who started with a large one right out of the blocks, but you had a lot of business acumen, a lot of business skill sets before you came here. But for the average person, they start out small. Might that be a problem about an out-of-town deal, being a small out-of-town deal, in that most of the small deals don't support um, a good management company or my... Am I seeing that wrong?
0: No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a component. Now, you know, I can give an example. We did a road trip uh, with the Odoms. Uh, they live in a Northwest Houston. They bought a property that's, I forget where it is, maybe Lamar, somewhere down south closer to Galveston. And one of the focuses of the road trip, and they're both employed, by the way. Uh, one of the focuses of the road trip was how do you manage, it, and I think it was 30 or 40 units, it was a good-sized property, how do you manage to do this? And what they've done is they've done such a fantastic job of implementing uh, their vision for preparing the property visually and everything that it maintains high occupancy. It's got its own little name in the marketplace down there, and when they have a, uh available unit there, they put an advertisement out in the paper. And it says, essentially, open house, and they start at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. They get in their car, they drive down there, they open the door, and there's a line of people to see the apartments. And some of them are referrals from residents that already live there. When the first person tours it, when they get back to the door, they say, are you going to lease it or are you going to walk? And if they walk, number two comes in, and they don't have to go very deep in the line before the place is done because they've done such a great job of preparing it. So, uh, they have figured out how to effectively self manage with two full time jobs a property that, I don't know, what do you think, hour and a half probably from their house? And they yeah. do it on Saturday morning when they have it a availability. <laughs> uh, they've got a whole system in place to collect rent that they don't have to go down there to do it. And it's just a brilliant model uh, that, you know, people can learn and take advantage of in our system. So,
1: how many units was
0: that one? I, I want to say that it's maybe as much as 40 units. Between 30 and 40, I would think, is a great little property.
1: So they don't have an on-site
0: manager? I'm trying to think back, and I want to say that they must, but I don't think they do, or they wouldn't be the ones that are driving down there Saturday morning to show the thing.
1: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I can't, uh, I'm can't. i trying to think the largest property I've ever managed without having an on-site manager. And I can't I can't get past I can't get past that. I just don't know how you can do it. I mean, I've seen other people do it, but they've turned it into their own business where they're working in the business as a manager. But I've never seen, anybody this was for you.
0: Yeah, I I think their story is one of the best ones that I've seen of somebody not working in the business but working on the business as a solo in a deal of that size. The smallest I've ever done is 80 units, and uh, I really said I never would go below 100 because of exactly what you said. I want on-site management and on-site maintenance so that those things can get handled uh, separate from my involvement. Uh, But but they've done a brilliant job on that one.
1: Yeah, like even really rivas his that little property I think it's 52 units he's got a part-time mm-hmm. manager in that one right so yeah i don't know yeah,
0: we've we've got lots of folks that are trying to find that lower limit it's somewhere around there where the property actually supports the payroll without taking too big a bite out of the profitability of the operation
1: all right we're going to take a short break we'll come back and uh, open up this discussion a little bit further uh with us here today is scott van oster multi-family mentor out of houston area and uh, we'll be right back with scott and the lifestyles unlimited real estate investor radio show
2: The largest multifamily bus tour in the country is coming to Houston. Friday, April 26th. Join Dell Walmsley, national radio host, CEO, and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, and his top team of investors, realtors, and expert educators. Ride your way to triple-digit returns. Go to multifamilymasterstour.com. Gain one-on-one access to industry experts, realtors, lenders, property and asset managers, apartment owners, national real estate syndicators, and trade professionals. Get the only bus ticket worth millions at multifamilymasterstour.com. And as a bonus, Master's Tour tickets include tickets to the Wealth and Passive Income Expo Saturday, April 27th Talk
1: 1370. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. With me here today is uh, Scott Van Austin, multifamily mentor out of the Houston area. And Scott's discussing with us the pros and cons of investing uh, outside of your submarket, not close to your home, in other words. And, uh, Scott, you've already discussed, um, you th- thought that, A person should have a good understanding of business before they strike out and do this. So we also discussed that, you know, you should probably start with a smaller property to start with. And that generally doesn't allow for on-site management and so forth. So really, to me, the discussion has, and through the discussion, I've come to the conclusion that this investing outside of town, and please do not be confused when I say, Uh, this is not talking about passively. Passively, you can invest anywhere you want. But if you're going to be an independent owner or a lead investor somewhere, you probably better have something under your belt, at least one under your belt, before you go out of town. Would you agree on that?
0: I'd absolutely agree on that. And if you are a passive investor, I encourage you to look at these other markets, but make sure that your lead has a track record and demonstrates the business acumen and maybe even has a tie to the market that they're talking about going out of their home market uh, to get into, so that you know that they're committed uh, to making the deal a success. And, and that's those are the word.
1: That was an interesting word: yeah, committed to making it a success. That's yeah. interesting because it, it's easy to cut and run, isn't it? And.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much uh, consider in anything that I've ever done in business that failure is not an option. So let's figure out how we're going to get through the troubled times now. But there is also uh, certainly a... Uh the business acumen, I guess, that when things are irreparable, if something has substantially changed in the marketplace, you need to know when to cut and run uh, and and kind of save what you can uh, out of the deal. But, yeah, that committed piece was a very big piece of my thought process when I started looking at Cincinnati. You know, I I really emphasize to people when I'm mentoring and even myself when I went to Cincinnati or to Del Rio later and I have to ask myself the question, are you prepared to spend the additional time and expense it will take to go outside your home market? Because it's there. You need to recognize it and address it up front uh, before you get too deep into the deal. So, you know, in the case of the Cincinnati marketplace, I had a tie there uh um, my wife and I lived in Cincinnati for the first two and a half years that we were married, so we have friends there. Uh, we have reasons to go there other than business, uh, and what the eventual business relationships that we have up there now allow us to do is make trips up there, take care of business, make a little money, and then we go to dinner and hang out with friends a little bit, and we write the whole thing off. So that's uh, you know that's always a, a good side to this, and maybe we need to add that to our ways that we make money in real estate. Uh, things that we rattle off. I think in the Cincinnati scenario, I wasn't looking to go outside my market. I still thought Houston was plenty big enough for me to expand my business. I only had, I think, four deals here at the time. Uh, But this deal showed up literally in my lap uh, via my laptop as I was sitting on my couch in my living room watching a football game. And because it was Cincinnati, I didn't delete it automatically like I do most out-of-market deals. I actually took the time to open it up. I logged into the website of the broker, and I kind of mentally uh, surveyed the metrics that I use to analyze deals in the Houston market. I quickly came to the uh, idea that if this was in Houston, it was a no-brainer. And that led to, well, if it's a no-brainer in Houston, is it worth it to expand my horizons and make the commitment that it's going to take to move into a different market. And that's really where my thought process uh, began. And I, I did a kind of pros and cons deal uh, for my own purposes. And then I showed it to my wife and she said, I don't care if you think it's worth it, go do it. But just know that I'm not moving back to Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and that kind of, yeah, it's become a recurring theme with every deal that I've added up there. And I'm up to five up there now. Um, but uh, we, we lived there 20 years ago. And I needed to get on a plane, get up there, not only tour this property, but really start to survey the landscape and what Cincinnati, what changes have happened in Cincinnati in the 20 years that we have been gone. And, man, 20 years is a lot of time, and a lot had changed. Uh, And I had to get my hands around that. But uh, that first visit was a very positive visit. Another thing that I did, this this deal was bigger than I could handle on my own. I was going to need investors. So uh, another thing that I did in preparing for that trip was I went to two of my biggest investors, and I said, if I decide to do this, would you back me on this? And one of those folks happens to be an out-of-state owner. He lives in Michigan. Uh, it was about a four-hour drive for him, but he met me in Cincinnati on that first trip and, and helped me make the decision and said, I'll back you if you want to do this. So that was uh, a lot of the early stuff.
1: We're going to have to take a break right there, Scott. We'll come back and uh, pick it back up from that. When we uh, return from the break, we'll be right back with Scott Van Austin and the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show.
2: you should have some real estate in your portfolio. To learn how to attend a Lifestyles Unlimited free workshop, call 866-971-8970 or go to lifestylesunlimitedaustin.com and register for the next available workshop. That's 866-971-8970 or go to lifestylesunlimitedaustin.com. Hiring for
1: your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited, Real Estate Investor Radio Show. With me here today is Scott Van Oster, multifamily mentor out of the Houston market. Scott's discussing with his uh, pros and cons of investing out of town or out of your submarket away from where you live, and uh, he's currently talking about a deal that he ran into uh, in his town where he used to live in Cincinnati and uh, was sharing with us that he was doing it with two other investors, one of which lives up there. So go ahead and pick it up there, Scott. uh, You said you had one investor up in Michigan that went in with you, another investor, I believe, from from Houston. Uh, So pick it up from right there.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, kind of where I was going with this is getting into the process of deciding to go to the market and what deal to do. And uh, the first visit up, it was a series of four visits before we got to closing on this. First visit, uh, met the the one investor there. Uh, we toured the property, agreed that the initial analysis on it was sound and that we did want to place a bid on this thing. And then he went back to Michigan. I stuck around for another day or two. And I started kind of reconfirming what I thought I knew about Cincinnati. In the process of doing that, I went to the local apartment association. And uh, the reason I went there was to get their list of active vendors and also management companies. I knew I was not going to be able to self-manage this thing from this far away. So I had to get comfortable with a third-party management company that I thought would execute and perform in the same way that I do on my properties locally. Now, interesting piece to that is that as I pulled up to the building where the Apartment Association was, I realized that next to the United States flag on the flagpole, next flagpole over, was actually not the Ohio State flag, but the shield of the management company, the logo of the management company that I was buying from. turned out they owned the building that the apartment association is they're very active the cfo is an ex uh, past president of the apartment association and they occupy one floor and other uh, folks including the apartment association are on the other floor of this two-story building that they're in so uh, i already realized and expected that when i went in and asked them for the top five management companies in cincinnati that they would be at the top of the list sure enough uh, they wore which was kind of a, an interesting and a little bit awkward uh, situation to be in uh... the next visit uh... well i came back to houston with the information that i had was armed with from what i picked up there and i started making a lot of phone calls uh... including initial visits with the other management companies that were on that list to see how i could narrow those things down And. All that set up for the second visit. We did get the thing under contract. I had to go through an interview process to prove I was worthy of buying because they wanted to know who this guy from Texas was that was coming out of nowhere. Cincinnati a pretty closed market. Um, the, the guys that I bought it from don't just manage. They own an interest in 6,500 apartments there. So there's a few very big buyers and then a few small players there, but they all know each other really well. It's an active apartment association that they all participate in. Uh, the, the second visit, we were under contract. It was what we would call a due diligence visit, and it was walking all units, doing a lease audit, those types of things. And I took three of my folks from uh, Houston up there to help me perform this. Since I had them up there for a couple of days, I had to entertain them and line them and dine them a little bit. Uh, we went to a Reds game, and I also booked to get active in the apartment association. I booked what I call a booze cruise. It was a paddle boat on the Ohio River with food and a live band, and you know, a big social event for the apartment association. And at that event, I actually ended up spending a lot of time with the president of the company that I was buying the uh, apartment complex from, and we got to be good friends. Uh, started there, uh, had a lot in common, and uh, just hit it off, and it's continued. From there, what that led up to was then on my third visit, I, I met the lender up there. They did their unit walks and, and uh, appraisal of the property. Uh, I, I actually was in the company who was selling it, I was in their conference room, sitting at the conference table, and I was retrading them for a few deficiencies that we found in our inspections. And in the middle of doing this, I really already made the decision that I thought that I liked them best out of any of the other companies that I had interviewed to run the deal. But it was kind of an awkward situation saying, hey, I want to buy this thing from you, and I want to want you to take it back and manage it, when they really didn't do third-party management. Uh, in the process of doing this, I get a text. It happened to be from John Ridgway. And he said, what are you doing in Cincinnati? Are you buying a complex there? And I said, yes, why? Well, he was at a National Apartment Association committee meeting. And he happened to be sitting next to the CFO of the management company that I was buying from. And I was in the process of retrading and asking them if they would take it back. So really my network uh, has been a recurring theme that has saved me throughout my life. But it uh, made another connection there. and The guys agreed to take me back as a third-party management situation.
1: Well, that's a good place to uh, put a hold on the story. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Scott Van Ostrand. And the Lifestyle Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show.
2: The yeah. Get your path to retirement in just one day at the country's largest wealth and passive income expo. Saturday, April 27th. Gain one-on-one access to hundreds of industry experts, realtors, lenders, property and asset managers, apartment owners, real estate syndication, and trade professionals. Meet national radio host, multimillionaire real estate investor, and mentor to the top award-winning investors in the country, Dell Walmsley. Use promo code EXPO19 and attend for just $10. That's wealthandpassiveincomeexpo.com. Promo code EXPO19
1: Talk 1370. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. With me here today is Scott Ben Austin. Scott's discussing the pros and cons of investing outside of your sub-market, your local area. And Scott's talking about a deal he did up in Cincinnati and how it worked out for him to find the deal by chance and make acquaintance with the people that actually managed it by chance and create really a strong local network for himself while doing so. Scott. What was the upside to this? If these guys are already managing it, they're already good at what they've done, the deal is, you know, how do you go into that and think that there's any upside to it? Or is this just buy it and let it keep going type of thing?
0: Two things there. We went into it, it was a pure yield play. This is a 55 and over property. It is, you know, essentially fixed income type mentality uh, or client base there. So this was not where we're going to go in and put in granite do all these crazy things and raise rents a hundred bucks. That was not the reason to buy this property. Um, So I was comfortable with the fact that they had been running it pretty well. And through getting to know them and making some suggestions as to what I thought I wanted to do with it, they were receptive and said, that's kind of interesting. They have properties there. It's a second generation company, actually two companies that merged. And they were a little lackadaisical in some of the stuff that they owned for themselves, So it's been interesting to see the relationship develop because I've actually taken some things that we've learned here up there and implemented them and now they're cascading them on their other properties. And at the same time, I think I've learned some things from them that I brought back down here. So it's been a really, really nice relationship. And. You know The key, if you're going to go third-party management, you've got to find people that are going to be open to your ideas and the way that you want the property run and demonstrate an ability to do those. And at the same time, share the openness back with you. So these guys use a software system, a different one than I use uh, for my properties, but by the same token, they've given me a login. I can log in and answer a lot of my own questions without ever bothering them and then I can very quickly email with them and I have emailed with different people in their organization three or four times in the last twenty four hours. Um, and they've got, you know, you've got to be able to work out that whole communication deal. It's no different than any other business employee relationship uh, that you might have in your life. And and that's just been fantastic, it turned out with these guys. So that's why I've continued to expand. Once one worked, I went back after another one. It was actually a combo deal with two properties uh they were actually the sellers on that one as well and they were looking to 1031 and so my being there and us buying in with each other ahead of time allowed them to then go search for their 1031 come back to me we had already agreed on the price and we pulled the trigger on the sale so that they didn't have to worry about timing their tax-free exchange program when they rolled to their next property and it's just a win-win-win all the way around on that
1: it's interesting so let's let's move over to your other deal. Uh, this one mm-hmm. obviously had some ties to the area. You had really good connection with the seller and so forth. Uh, the other deal you've done out of town here recently was um, in Texas, in Del Rio. And let's talk about that yeah. one for a second. What what prompted you to go the other direction? I mean, you went far east, now you're going far west. What's going on here?
0: Yeah, so for those that don't know Texas, uh, and I didn't know where Del Rio was uh, when I found out about it, it is Take I-10 west out of Houston and don't stop for five hours. If you get to Mexico, you went about 10 minutes too far. Um, This deal actually came to me. I was mentoring at least two groups uh, that brought it to me, and it was wrong for them, I think, for a couple of reasons. Both of them were fairly new. Uh, One of them, it was definitely their first deal. The other one, I don't think it was his first deal, maybe his second. Uh, But they were both going to be heavily reliant on third-party management, which they had no experience with and and they didn't really have the experience to know the business, I think, well enough to run it from a distance. But the real reason that the deals didn't end up working for them is that the deal evaluation tool that we used that they brought to me just made the deals look really thin, and the whole risk-reward for the amount of effort really didn't pay out. Now, after Everybody that was interested in this deal had fallen off. I was actually looking at another deal or talking to a broker about another deal, and it was the same broker that had this one. And I mentioned to him, hey, a couple of people have brought this to me, and it should work. The price per door works. I don't know anything about the uh, area, but why? how are we looking at this wrong, and why is this not working? And he pointed out two things. One was the way that property taxes work. Houston is different than the way they work in Del Rio, and two was that this had an assumable loan at 3.6% interest, which none of the people who brought me the deal had told me. combination of those two deals is what brought this thing into focus and showed me the upside on this deal. Thirteen
1: seventy. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited, a real estate investor radio show. With me here is Scott Van Austin, multifamily mentor out of Houston, Texas. And Scott was uh, finishing up this last segment here discussing a deal that uh, he did out in Del Rio, Texas. Scott, pick it back up from the break and uh, run with it. You've just got about, let's see, six minutes.
0: Okay. So Del Rio deal, very similar process to Cincinnati with the exception of, instead of getting on a plane and flying two hours up there, this is a five-hour drive due west of Houston. And in order to convince myself that this one was worth it, I got up. One morning at about 5 a.m. and I made the drive out there to see what it was going to be like to have to do this, you know, one or more time per month to manage this deal. Because I was thinking, well, I wasn't sure if this was going to be self-management or I was going to third-party management this deal at the time. Uh, I was in the process as I was sizing sizing this deal up of deciding to go from third-party management on my local properties. Uh, back to self-management, and so I was trying to think of how I would organize my staff and manage this if I was going to take it in-house. On the drive out there, very uh, similar process, as I said. I, I went once. I surveyed the area. I went to the Chamber of Commerce. They really downloaded a lot of information for me about the area, both good and bad and what was going on in the area. Uh, I went and I sat at the counter of what I'll call a diner in the area and had lunch, and I talked to the people on either side of me. I talked to the person across the counter that was serving me and tried to get a feel for what the kind of tempo of the town was. And uh, I had already looked in, at the census on it. There just wasn't a lot of change in population. It's a pretty fixed area, not a growth area. Uh, but what turned out was there were some very positive things that were just starting to take off there. It's a very government-based program. Uh, out there, When I first went out there, uh, the pilot program at the local Air Force Base consisted of 300 people a year that went through there. Uh, now it's up to 450 uh, as of this month. They're expanding it again. Uh, the Border Patrol, with everything that's been going on recently politically, has expanded 150 people. Uh, American Airlines has decided that it's worth it to fly two flights a day into the Del Rio airport, which had no flights a day and people were driving to San Antonio two hours away to get out of there. Uh, starting November 4th, uh, American will be landing two planes a day uh, in and out of the airport there. And the local economy made a $5 million commitment to the airport and upgrades in order to make that happen. It's, I've just found that it's a very friendly, local small town atmosphere they all know where their bread is buttered and they all get together and pitch in to make things happen in their little environment there the last trip i was out there i met the owner of multiple mr gaddy's locations in the area uh, and other uh, businesses that were out there we were out at the air force base uh, for a welcome event for the new pilots that are coming in uh, to that program so You know, I I just can't emphasize enough. You've got to get into these markets. You've got to know what makes them different from where you are. It helps if you have a tie to it like I did Cincinnati to make it worth it other than business to go there. Uh, Del Rio is a pure business play for me, but I've gotten to where I kind of like it out there, and I'm trying to figure out how we can expand because what I bought out there is really the only Class A. It has no competition, so I'm not sure where I go from there. There's a lot of subsidized housing out there, and I don't really want to go there. So I don't know how we're going to expand that market, but I'm going to find a way.
1: Well, you know, it's funny that you brought that up because that was going to be my next question to you was, you know, if you've got something there, you've got a placeholder, doesn't it make sense to do some backfill, you know, with some other stuff? Now, if everything's subsidized housing uh, and then you've got the only class A, there's got to be one class B in there somewhere, huh? Maybe one B, two B, And I'm
0: looking for it. I, I, I'm looking <laughs> for that uh, B or C plus in there where I can bridge the gap. And I'll tell you, on my way out there last time, I also drove another property that is not on the market now. Uh, but is very similar uh, to the one in Del Rio, and I'm actually sizing it up. I was working on that yesterday a little bit. Uh, so I'm going, you know, kind of 30, 45 minutes, maybe as much as an hour away from Del Rio, and I'm trying to understand what surrounds it on this side of the border, and that kind of perimeter. Uh was working with one of our members uh, on a deal out there. This deal in Del Rio has gotten a little bit of press and lifestyle, and they reached out to me yesterday and asked me to dump pretty much everything I'm saying on the radio today uh, with them yesterday so that they could size up the deal in another market that I haven't been to yet out there.
1: Well, I think it's uh, a good process, Scott, because when I first started doing this, I I ventured down to Texas City, and I bought a small apartment complex in Texas City, Uh, And then I bought two more apartment complexes in Lamarck, and I just started backfilling that whole area. And one time I thought, you know what, these towns are so small, I could probably own every apartment complex in this town. Um, (laughs) It's it's a weird thought, but that's kind of the thing about being in a small town. You really do sort of have an edge on the market when it comes to stuff like that. So uh, in the long run here, we're going to go... We're coming to the end of the show here, so I want to make sure we have an ending thought here. In the long run, do you think, and you've got only 30 seconds to answer, is it worth it to look out of town if you're someone that has the business acumen to do it?
0: I think it's definitely worth it. I mean, the major markets get a lot of attention. We have national and international money in a city like Houston. And, you know, Del Rio certainly does not. It may have some Mexican money in there, if you want to call that international. But it's nothing like we have in a major market like a Houston or a Dallas or something like that. So you're you're finding these holes of opportunity and figuring out how to take advantage of them.
1: Well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on and airing out this uh, information with us today. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people think through the process as they look forward to it. Everyone Everyone else out there, remember this. We're not doing this for some money. We're doing it for a lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: for listening to the lifestyles unlimited real estate investor radio show. Remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, investing, or tax advice. Results may vary. Always consult a professional before making any financial decisions. If you'd like to find out more about the mentoring available at Lifestyles Unlimited, please visit them online at lifestylesunlimited.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?